The words that Tim has already shared with you, we want to say welcome to everybody, especially our guests. We are so glad you're with us. If you have those uh, attendance cards, uh, pass it to the inside aisle. It'll be picked up at this time. Last Sunday evening, we started a new sermon series on Joseph. As we go through this series, we're going to see so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. But for this second lesson in the series, I've got to be honest with you, I struggled. I struggled because of a thought that came into my mind as I was prepping to write this lesson. It was a thought that was both frightening and sad. I tried to eliminate it. I tried to get rid of the thought. I tried to think of anything other than that thought. But that thought kept on coming back day after day. The thought was about my grandmother. As I've explained before, the series on year five started because of my grandmother. When I was born, I only had one grandparent alive. All my other grandparents were deceased. It was my mother's mother. She was 80. She died on my 16th birthday. Here's the problem. I became a Christian just before I turned 13. I had three years. I had three years of opportunities. I stepped aside from them. I stepped down from what I should have been doing. I should have been talking to my grandmother about why I love Jesus and why Jesus is important to me. But did I do that? No. Why? Because I was a dumb kid. Okay? I was dumb. I, I, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about the fact that my grandmother was already in her 90s. She died on my 16th birthday. As a non-Christian, I will never, ever see her again. Ever. Again. That thought kept on coming to my mind. So I'm going to do something that I told you I wouldn't do. I'm going to take back something I told you. You know, they say that a woman has a right to change they're mine. Hopefully you'll let me as a preacher do that. Because one more time, just one more time, I want to talk about your five. The five people that you love who are not Christians. And I want to have just one more lesson about how to have a positive impact on your five. We begin with this guy. Now, most of us who are older will recognize this guy. This is Peter Falk. He was uh, probably most famous for a character that he played on TV, Columbo. 
But now, I want to tell you something that you may not know about Peter Falk. Peter Falk had a glass eye. It goes back to when he was three years old. Cancer had developed in that eye, and the doctors removed it. And he lived the rest of his life, over 90 years, with a glass eye. Now, that did not stop him from being an athlete. Actually, in high school, he was a very good athlete, especially in baseball tells a story. He told the story about one time they were in a game, very critical game with another high school, and he had hit the ball, he got on base, and the next guy up hit the ball, and he was trying to advance to third base. And the third baseman, for whatever reason, just made a bad call. He was clearly safe, and the umpire called him out. Peter Falk stood up, and before he went back to his dugout, he popped out his eye and said, hey, you might do better with this. <laughs> you know, sometimes it should be obvious. We look at Christianity, and we look at our five, and we think it should be obvious. They need to obey. Why are they waiting? What's the delay? What's the hang-up? Sometimes we're kind of like Peter Falk. Hey, here, here, here's an eye. You look at it. You should know this already. We're just like that when it comes to our ability to influence our five. And in so doing, we miss the open doors. Let's turn to Genesis 38. And we're going to see why God chose Joseph to lead the family and not one of his older brothers, Judah. Look at verse 1. Moses is the great Hebrew wordsmith. Every word that Moses penned counts. Notice, what does it say? Departed. Visited. What's happening? Judah is moving away from the faith. He is departing from the faith of his father. And what is he doing? He's visiting. He's spending time away from the people that should be influencing him. And he's letting worldly influence take over. What are we talking about? We're talking about a moral decline. It's very obvious in the Hebrew text. Maybe a better translation instead of visited, would be went down. He is not just going south, which he did. He went south in the land of Canaan. But more importantly, he went down morally. The same Hebrew word that Moses uses right here is used in many other places in the Bible to indicate what? A turning aside from God. Those are just a few of the examples. What is Moses wanting to say to us? Judah is not doing right. Judah is going down the wrong path right here. Verses 2 through 5. And Judah saw, he's out there with worldly people, he saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. What did Abraham say to the servant in Genesis 24? Don't let my son Isaac marry a Canaanite. You go back 
and get a person who knows about the true God, at least knows about the true God. He saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. On our washing machine, when something's wrong, it gives you a little message. When there's a problem, it gives you a message. What does it say? It doesn't have room enough to, put, to spell out era. It goes E-R. Think about era. Think about wrong. This is wrong, Judah. So she conceived again and bore a son and called his name Onan. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was where? Chizba. When she bore him. Notice that last son's name. Shelah. It means to be at ease. What is Judah doing? He is living the easy life. You know, it takes a little effort to live for God. You know, it's easy to live in the world. You just float down the river. You know, you don't have to do anything. You just be like the world. Judah is at ease now. The town where they live, literally that word means deceit. Judah's whole life is a lie. He's not being godly. He's turned aside. He has departed. He has went down from his godly heritage, and he's now pursuing a life of wealth and pleasure. What is that? That's compromise. That's trying to, trying to hang on to God and hanging on to the world at the same time. Guess what? You can't do it. No man can serve two masters. That's what Jesus said in that Sermon on the Mount. Judah has compromised with the world around him, and that disqualifies him as a leader. He was seduced by the surrounding Canaanite culture. He was led astray by his own will from his pursuit of God into what? Pursuing sex and money so much that he was unable to lead anyone to the right path. How can we lead our five? How can you lead your five if you're not on the right path? If you're not living for Jesus 24-7, it is our hope, it is our wish, it is our prayer. I think you've heard that expression, haven't you? That we all live for Jesus 24-7. How can we lead our five if we're not doing exactly that? Judah's worldly attitudes and his actions just disqualified him from being an effective leader for God's people. How can we lead our five if we're not following in the path of Jesus? Ken Wells. You probably don't know that name. Remember the TV show Christy? Sweet little show. The movie Amazing Grace, which is one of my uh, favorites. He was actually a producer of that TV show and the movie. By the way, Ken Wells could have been a mega star in Hollywood. 
Ken Wells was signed by MGM. He was on an MGM contract. His first movie, he was going to star with Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, and Shirley MacLaine. He turned it down. Why? Because in the movie, his character was supposed to seduce a woman for sex. He said, I won't do that. That goes against my moral code. The director and the producer told him, if you don't do the movie, we will blackball you. And you will never work as an actor again. He said, so be it. He never worked as an actor again. He stayed in Hollywood and ended up being a major producer of what? Clean programming. Why did he give up that lucrative career? Because he a moral code that he lived by. Judah, Judah has given up his moral code. If he truly want to help people with their lives and help them see Jesus, if he truly want to be a godly influence on others, don't compromise with the world. People need to see the difference in you as opposed to the world. If we are just a carbon, carbon copy of the world, why should they do anything different? Why would your five want to do anything different? We've got to stand up for godly values. Don't go down. Don't turn aside like Judah. Be a Christian. Remember, what does that word Christian mean? It means Christ-like. Christ-like. If you want to be a positive influence on your five, then first of all, don't compromise with the world. Second, if you want to be a positive influence, take care of those close to you. We're talking about your family. God has given you your first mission field. You realize that? You know, we are very fortunate here. We are involved in mission fields in Africa. We're involved in mission field in the Philippines, in India, in the, in the uh, uh, Pacific area, Pacific Ocean area. But guess what? Each one of us have an automatic mission field. It's called your own backyard. Talk about your family, your children, your grandchildren. God has blessed you with those children and grandchildren, and He expects you to do what? To lead them to Jesus. Judah didn't do that with his children. His rebellion against what he should have been doing, and their rebellion, that disqualified him for leading his family tribe. You see, his pursuit of wealth and pleasure had a negative impact on his children. Look at verse 6. Verse number 6. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. Her name, what was her name? Her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah, what was it? It was wicked. Are you surprised? Looking at the father, are you surprised? Looking at the mother, are you surprised? I'm not. He was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. 
This is duty of a brother-in-law back in Bible days. The duty was to marry your dead brother's wife and that way she could have a child that would bear her husband's name and carry on the family line. Onan says, I'm not going to do that. Onan knew his duty, but he refused to follow the custom. God was displeased with Onan, and like his brother, Onan died. Now we got two brothers dead. Got a problem. We just got one brother left. Shelah is left. Verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. But there's a problem. Moses gives us the problem. For he said, lest he also die like his brothers. Judah thought that Tamar was a problem. That she was some sort of evil widow that automatically kills the husband. But folks, she wasn't the problem. Judah's own sons were the problem. It says they were wicked in the sight of the Lord. Paul, in writing to Timothy about leaders in the church, says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Are we the parents that we should be? Are we leading our children to God? You know... So often, so often we put so much emphasis, so much time, so much money in a, what, 45, 60 minute ceremony we call a wedding. And we forget what's really important. It's that premarital work, helping that young couple get ready for their marriage. Is that work that we should have done in convincing our children to be Christians when they were growing up, when they reached that age of accountability. You see, it doesn't matter what our children end up doing, if they're doctors, attorneys, or if they're, you know, whatever, garbage, garbage collectors. That doesn't really matter. What matters is where they will spend eternity. That's what really matters doesn't matter what they do here on earth, what job they have. It matters where will they spend eternity. If your Christianity isn't working at home, don't export it. Make sure your Christianity is working. You know, our children know us better than anyone else. You know... You can look at me and think, well, you know, he's a great guy and wah, 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 you know. But hey, my children know the real me. Your children know you, the real you. The test of a true leader is what happens in the prophecy of his own home. Not the kind of show he's able to perform in public. It's what is happening behind those closed doors that counts. A dad had a very talkative, inquisitive four-year-old. You know, children, especially.
especially that age, can be real talkers. And this one little boy, boy, he was just constantly asking question after question after question. He just would not be quiet. The dad was trying to get work done. He finally said, hey, son, I will give you, he reached in his wallet, I'll give you this $20 bill. If you'll give me 20 minutes of silence, that little four-year-old boy, he's kind of smart. He says, okay, Dad. He takes it, and he's quiet. Well, then they have lunch, and the mom's away, and the dad is uh, preparing lunch and providing the lunch, and, and uh, uh, suddenly, you know, the little boy, he's squirming around in his seed, and he's not eating the right, you know, he's not eating his vegetables. He wants to eat the dessert for us first, and, and all these other things, and the dad is, you know, is what, trying to correct him, trying to correct him, trying to correct him. Finally, the son speaks up and says, Dad, if you'll be quiet for 20 minutes, I'll give you this $20 bill. Our children are a reflection of us. There's a picture that was taken when I was about 10 years old. When people look at it, they say, well, that's Justin there. I say, no, look a little closer. Look at the furniture. Look at the carpet. Look at the walls. Does it look recent? It's not Justin. It's me. You see, our children, our children are truly a reflection of us. Children reflect their parents. Judah selfishly pursued wealth and pleasure. It's no surprise that his children were selfish and self-centered as well. Being a good leader in the home doesn't mean that our children never rebel. Yes, you heard me right. The question is, how do we handle it if they do rebel? I have friends who now are deceased that had identical twin sons. Identical means they were born from the same egg. I mean, those two boys, you could not tell them the difference. I mean, I could never tell the difference between them. To me, they look the same. One today is a faithful Christian. The other one is an unfaithful Christian. The faithful Christian married a good Christian gal and they have a wonderful Christian home. And he's a leader in God's church. The other son married a beautiful gal that was certainly not a Christian. Led him in the direction of alcohol and drugs and, well, he ended up spending time in jail, in prison. How do we handle it when they do rebel? Because even though we can give them a wonderful foundation and those parents gave those twin boys a wonderful Christian foundation, you see, when they get to be young adults, they're going to make their own decisions about who they marry, who will have a tremendous impact on their faith, where they live, which will have a tremendous impact on their faith, and what job they take, which once again will have a tremendous impact on their faith. So how do we handle it? if they become unfaithful and rebel? Do we reflect the love and discipline of our Heavenly Father in the way that we treat our children? If you want to be a positive influence on others, on your five, and remember, every time you see your hand, think of your five. 
then first of all, don't compromise with the world. Second, take care of your family before you take care of anyone else. And third, be consistent in the way you live your life. Be consistent in the way you live your life. Live your life with what? Integrity. Make sure your walk matches your talk. Because hypocrisy will discredit us every time. Judah is going to be a creator of hypocrisy. Judah's wife dies. He finds comfort in who? Not godly people. He finds comfort in those Canaanites. Verse 12. Tamar realizes, hey, Judah is not going to give me the youngest son, Shelah. So she cooks up a plan. She decides, I'm going to trick Judah into having sex with me. She dresses like a temple prostitute. It's a time of sheep shearing. That was a time of extreme sexual immorality in the Canaanite culture. They honored their idol gods with all this sexual immorality to encourage more harvests, you know, more, more wool, more crops. According to one commentator, it was a time when the Canaanite religion encouraged ritual fornication as what? Fertility magic. They would have plenty of temple prostitutes on hand. Those temple prostitutes would wear a veil to disguise who they really were. Judah has just lost his wife. All his friends are sleeping with temple prostitutes. So guess what? He's wide open to sexual temptation. She is on the road to where he's going. Tamar is there. He sees her. He offers her payment. I'll send you a young goat. She says, well, how, how do I know you're going to keep that promise? What's your pledge? Well, here's my ring, my signet ring. Here's my cord. Here's my staff. I'll take, you take that. She becomes pregnant by her own father-in-law. Word comes to Judah. Hey, your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. What does he say? He says, verse 24. And it came to pass after three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by the tree. So Judah, what do you say? Bring her out and let her be burned. Yeah. She deserves to be burned. You see, Tamar had tricked Judah. And now we've got a problem. Because, you see, Judah had adopted the immorality of the Canaanite culture. He's quick to condemn his own daughter-in-law. But guess what? He's the father. Tamar says, well, hold it here. 
Um, the man who got me pregnant, uh, this ring belongs to him, this cord belongs to him, this staff belongs to him. Judah knows. She's caught me. She is pregnant by me. He had let himself off the hook for committing the same sin that he was so quickly to condemn. Judah stood condemned himself. As a result, his righteous indignation was totally discredited by the double standard that he presented, which was now exposed for all to see. Are we living by the standard? Judah's hypocrisy discredits him. And such hypocrisy discredits anyone who tries to lead and influence others. Can people see the difference in your life? More importantly, I guess, for this lesson at least, can your five see the difference in your life that you're living? A while back on History Channel's uh, Pawn Stars, a man had bought a barn, and in that barn he found an old box, old dusty box, all sealed up. And inside that box was this beautiful violin. He kind of knocked off the dust and he saw where it said Stradivarius. Money signs are automatically popping up in his brain because a Stradivarius violin is worth millions. He took it on to History Channel's Pawn Stars. They looked at it and they said, it is a violin and it's definitely a label there. It says Stradivarius, but it's not a real Stradivarius. It's a fake copy. You see, it had the label, but it wasn't real. Just because something has a label doesn't mean it's real. I can say to the world, I'm a Christian. I've got the label. I've got the label. I even got on my shirt. I wore the shirt on purpose today. But that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean I'm a Christian. That doesn't mean I'm living the Christian life. Just because I have the label doesn't mean it's real. If our five are going to change, if your five is going to change for Jesus, they've got to see the real Christian life in you. Hypocrisy is kind of like a pen, pointed in one direction, but headed in another. You can't point people in one direction, then head in another, and expect them to lead them. It just doesn't work that way. In my own life growing up, I had two influences. That I want to talk about. One was the influence of my father. If I had listened to that influence, if I had allowed that influence to affect me, I would not be right here today. I doubt if I even would be a faithful Christian today. I'm standing on the faith of my mother. I'm standing firmly on her faith. Because she's the one that fought 
for religious right. She was my example to me growing up. If you want to have a positive influence on your five, you cannot compromise with the world. You must take care of your family and you must be consistent in the way you live your life. You see, this is the reason why I just had to do this lesson. Because I thought about my grandmother and how I blew it. I never mentioned him to her. I never mentioned Jesus to her. But what about those of us who have failed in all or some of these areas? Is there any hope? If you read down in verses 27 through 29, you have the birth of twin sons by Tamar. One of those twin sons, the first one was Perez. Where do you see that in the New Testament? You see Tamar, you see Judah, you see Perez in the family tree of Jesus. You see, God, God can even use our mistakes. Can God use you? Yes, if you will let Him. Can God use me? Yes, if I will let Him. Yes, He can, but we need to recognize our own failing. And we need to count on His grace. And we need to put things right in our lives. First, if you're not a Christian, why are you waiting? I'm kind of like Peter Falk. I want to pop out that glass eye and say, hey, look, you should, this is obvious. Take a look. Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. I'm talking to mainly Christians today. I realize that. As a Christian, do you need to seek his forgiveness? Isn't it wonderful that God will forgive? He will forgive. Do you need the church praying for you and with you, we will, James 5, 16. Nathan has a song designed to help you make that step. Only a step. Will you take that step for, for Jesus? A step in the right direction? Will you live for him? If you have any need, we have two elders up here waiting for you. Please come as we stand and sing for your encouragement. Jesus, we come.